All right, so we're going to talk about uh, how to create a pastoral counseling ministry in the local church. Uh, my name is Steve Dunleavy. I'm the clinical director at Emerge Counseling Services, uh, formerly known as Emerge Ministries, uh, and frankly, for most of us, probably still known as Emerge Ministries, right? Sometimes I catch myself saying that as well. Uh, so we're going to talk about the policies and the practices and some of the ways to set it up, pick the right people, and guard your church from liability uh, in setting this up. Okay? So you might think, what kind of people would I see in pastoral counseling in a pastoral counseling ministry? Well, this might be some of the people, uh, if you can't see it. She's saying, I'll never forget you either, Harold, at least not without a lot of therapy. So you're going to see people who have been hurt in relationships. You might see people like this. They just want somebody to talk to, right? These might be your first clients. You never know, okay? That's actually, I was telling my pastor, uh, who's sitting right over there with the gorgeous red hair, um, that this is actually a picture of my wife and I just aged digitally. <laughs> so that is what we are going to look like, hopefully. And then... Really, you might be wondering, how do I end a meeting successfully with a counselee in pastoral counseling? Well, this is one way. Press a button, they go through a trap door, the next one comes right in. Okay? And so, um, but first we want to talk about what is pastoral counseling? Pastoral counseling, and I'm going to pick this up so I don't feel like I'm hunched over for the entire meeting here. Uh, pastoral counseling is a ministry of the local church which seeks to facilitate spiritual and emotional growth in the whole person. And, oh, you are a rock star. I'm sorry, that's on, that's on recording too. So, okay, it's going out. That's John Berger. John Berger, you are a rock star of epic proportions. Anybody that tells you different, they are lying. Yeah, I know, right? You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much. All right. And so it's a ministry of the local church, and we're, we're seeking to facilitate spiritual and emotional growth in the whole person. Uh, it helps people to understand their issues in light of their relationship with God and how to live more fully in their relationship with God. Okay? We have to make that distinction because... As we're going to see later, if it looks like, sounds like, uh, or feels like professional counseling, you can be charged with practicing without a license. So we do need to distinguish it from professional work, and we'll talk a little bit more later on about how to do that. Okay? But we also want to help the whole person. Okay? Uh, most of the issues that people face have an emotional underpinning. So we have to help them emotionally as well as spiritually um, as we're going through. So then there are also some distinctives mentioned down here of pastoral counseling. Number one, it's based on the Bible. Uh, number two, its goal is to bring the person into wholeness, which in part means a saving knowledge of Christ. That should be a part of our goal. 
But then it also means encouraging them in an ongoing relationship with Christ through sanctification. And in a way, we can see pastoral counseling as practical sanctification. It is helping them to become more like Christ. However, we don't want to focus strictly on behaviors. Behavior is the result of what has already happened on the inside of them. Okay? And often we're tempted to do that, but we really want to help people grow mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and the outcome of all of that is their behavior. Okay? And by the way, if you have any questions or comments during it, just raise your hand. I have ADD. I can't miss you. Okay? Even if I try, I can't miss you. So just wave me down. I will welcome any questions or comments, all right? Uh, the other distinctive is it connects people to the community of believers. Uh, you can connect people directly into other ministries in your church and to other believers for the purpose of uh, their growth. And that it also encourages reliance upon the Holy Spirit for real change and growth. We teach people how to let the Holy Spirit touch those places deep inside of them for the purpose of real change and real growth. And so these are just some of the advantages of church-based pastoral counseling. Uh, I'm just going to go through those very quickly because we started a little bit late. It allows the pastoral counseling to serve, uh, pastoral counselor that should say, to serve as a helper and a mentor. It uh, provides the pastoral counselor with greater insights into difficulties. When you go into a professional counselor, they kind of have to take your word for it. However, if the person is going to your church and you see them every Sunday or Wednesday, the odds are is you're going to catch them if they're not telling you the truth. And you'll be able to call them out on that, right? In, in the professional counseling world, we just kind of have to go, okay doesn't sound likely, but I've got nothing to combat that. Okay, so that's an advantage of having a pastoral counseling ministry in the local church. Uh, it also allows the two people to serve together and pray for each other as the body of Christ, uh, which is definitely a benefit. Uh, often professional counseling relationships are one way, and the person doesn't get to serve back. This is definitely a benefit. They get to practice service with each other. It also allows for greater connectivity to other ministries in the church, and it allows for greater intimacy building um, and a greater display of God's grace. Uh, when a secular counselor sees a client, they're not going to see them outside. Um, and frankly, it can leave the person with the idea you're only being kind to me because it's your job, right? And so because of that, um, when you see somebody outside of the counseling arena every single day and you're still nice to them in a pastoral counseling context, they then know you really care. They know you really care about them as a human being, not just for what you can get from them. So this is one other advantage of pastoral counseling in the local church. And so, why do we do pastoral counseling? Like, why don't we... A lot of churches nowadays have chosen 
to just leave it to the professionals, and I think that's a huge mistake, and I am saying that as the clinical director of Emerge Counseling Services, okay? I think that pastoral counseling is a huge part of the healing process for individuals, and we are not in competition on the professional or the pastoral counseling level. Uh, we both approach issues from a different angle, and we both have something to offer. But here's why we do pastoral counseling. Because the war between God and Satan is partially one, is partially a war for the expression of presence, thereby taking dominion over the earth by motivating human action. Both God and Satan are trying to motivate people by stimulating their mind to influence the brain to think in terms of thoughts, fantasies, and ideas for the purpose of motivating action, of having their presence uh, displayed on the earth. And that is partially what the war is, and this battle takes place in the mind for life choices. It's a bigger battle than just behaviors. God wants to influence us in our internal, internal being for the purpose of his presence being uh, displayed on the earth and also us reaching our divine potential because he knows this is the way we were designed to be. Does that make sense? This is partially why we do pastoral counseling. It's also why we do Christian counseling. So the first thing we need to do when we're setting this up is we need to develop a framework for a pastoral counseling ministry. Um, you are always going to see something like this at the, at the front end. Ask an attorney, right? Everybody uh, who has a ministry or a business needs to have a good attorney that they know and trust to help them navigate the muddy waters of legalities that, frankly, you and I are not going to be able to understand. You and I can read the law. We're not going to know all the case law that goes into interpreting that law. Okay? So we're going to need a lawyer to help us with this. I'm going to offer you some ideas based upon conversations that I've had with too many lawyers in my lifetime. Okay? And I'm going to go over policies that you need to have in place in order to protect your church and to protect your people through the process. And then we talk about insurance coverage. We'll talk about preparing to screen your team. Uh, and then um, we'll talk about developing a communications plan in this part of it. Uh, screening your team is very important because if you get sued, you would get sued for negligent hiring or negligent supervision. Those are two areas we need to batten up the hatches on, okay? So let's go into developing a policy to protect your church from liability. Uh, the first thing we need to have a policy about is clarifying what kind of counseling is going to take place. Can you see past my podium, by the way? I'm calling this a podium. It's really a music stand. Okay, good. Just wanted to check. Told you I had ADD. I was off on that trail. I am back. All right. So we need to clarify in our policy what kind of counseling is going to take place inside the walls of the church. And we will, uh, in this kind of policy, limit it to biblical and spiritual counseling. And we will encourage our people to refuse any kind of moniker, description from any counselee that says you are a medical professional. 
you're a licensed counselor, you're a professional counselor. Sometimes people will walk into my office and say, hey, doctor, and I, I have to say, I'm not a doctor. Um, I play one on TV, and I am a doctor of love, but I'm not an official doctor <laughs> in any capacity, okay? Uh, so we want to create a policy and then train people in this policy that they have to reject those labels. We want to emphasize uh, the biblical counseling by encouraging in policy the use of at least one scripture verse in each session, assigning scriptural homework, and beginning and ending each pastoral counseling uh, session in prayer. Because we have to distinguish it from professional work, uh, from licensed professional work. I think pastoral counseling is professional work. Okay, let me put that out there. We have to distinguish it from licensure. Uh, then we also have to require each person that comes in for counseling to sign a pastoral counseling agreement. We're going to call it a consent form. That is them giving uh, consent to start the process of pastoral counseling with the understanding of a few things. These are the few things. They're acknowledging that they understand that it's biblical and not uh, licensed professional work. Um, they're acknowledging that they understand that this person is not a professional in psychological counseling, psychiatric, etc. They're also going to agree uh, to not sue the church. Okay? Any statement that says, please don't sue us, would be good enough. Okay? Now, could they still sue you? Yes. Those don't actually hold up, but at least they've said at the very beginning, we're agreeing not to sue you. We also want to have something that outlines the limits of what you can keep confidential. Okay? Some, uh, some church bodies may call that limits to the sacred trust in a church body. Okay? There are some things that you cannot keep confidential as a pastor, pastoral counselor, anybody doing counseling within a church. Any idea what those are? Hurt themselves or hurt others? Uh, sexual abuse of a minor. Sexual abuse of a minor. There's a few more. Neglecting a minor. Neglecting a minor. Abuse or neglect of senior adults that can't care for themselves. And abuse or neglect of people who are disabled regardless of their age. Okay? Both of those last ones we would... Um, Submit reports to Adult Protective Services if it's a minor under the age of 18 to Child Protective Services. Okay, it also informs the person, how much are you going to be expected to pay us for our pastoral counseling services? Yes, you are able to charge for pastoral counseling in the state of Ohio, and there is absolutely no guideline for how much you can charge. You can put $1,000 on there. Good luck. Um, professional services, licensed services go anywhere from about $100 to $200 is the highest that I've seen it. Pastoral counseling services are usually somewhere between $50 and $100 per meeting is usually what it is, and it's cash only, of course. People need to understand that the money that they give you for pastoral counseling will not be tax deductible. You will have people ask you. Okay, so we might have, want to have that in a consent form. By the way, you have copies of my suggestion for a consent form for pastoral counseling. 
Okay? You want to have within this, we're still talking about the consent form, uh, you want to have how will you handle missed appointments, excessively missed appointments, excessively late canceled appointments. We have to keep in mind that your time is valuable, okay, and we don't want to have a whole lot of missed appointments. If you have a whole lot of missed appointments, my guess is that they are avoiding the process of counseling and you're really not helping them anyway. So you want to have something up front letting them know how many missed appointments is too many. How many before you say, I don't think we're going to meet anymore? At Emerge, it's three. If you miss or late cancel three appointments, we're likely going to say, I'm really sorry, it doesn't seem like we're able to help you at this time, and we give them referrals to other places that they can get help. Uh, you want to limit your meetings uh, that are offered to people, usually six to eight meetings max. This helps people to not become emotionally dependent upon you, and also helps to distinguish uh, you from licensed professional work. The expected length of time of meetings, notice I'm calling them meetings in this PowerPoint rather than sessions, that's another way to distinguish it. You could call it appointments, I really don't care, anything to distinguish it. 55 minutes, and I would stick to that 55 minutes as much as possible even though that's not something I ever do. Do as I say, not as I do in this one. You want to have some statements about how dual relationships are going to be handled within the church. Dual relationships is when you see them in pastoral counseling, but then you also see them when you're serving together as a part of a ministry outside of the counseling office. Okay. My suggestion would be there's something in there that says, I will not speak to you about the issues of counseling outside of that office, even if we're within the church. Uh, if you don't, and frankly, even if you do, people are going to try to talk to you outside. Okay? Uh, in this, you would talk about the required uh, referral to professionals, and you may um, require a, prof uh, a referral to a professional under a lot of different circumstances. Here are some. If someone is suicidal, I would get professional eyes looking at them. It doesn't mean, when you refer somebody to a professional, it does not mean that you have to stop seeing them. It just simply means that you're giving them uh, a different level of care, and then you will continue to see them for everything except that, everything that's within your scope of practice. If somebody uh, has a serious depression lasting longer than two weeks every single day, We'll want to refer them out, get another set of eyes on them. A serious anxiety issue. If somebody comes into your office, and every faith tradition is different, but if somebody is seeing things, and that is not normal for your faith tradition, okay? If they are hearing things in a way that wouldn't be normal for your faith tradition, that's a time to get licensed professional eyes on them, okay? And there are probably a lot of other uh, issues that you'd want to refer out for. If you do not have specific training in sexual issues, I would refer all of those out. Okay? We want to avoid uh, counseling members of the opposite sex or minors alone. Okay? 
If you are counseling somebody of the opposite sex, uh, make sure that you are counseling them in a way that other people are able to see but not hear, which means glass window in your door is a good idea. Um, you may counsel, I, I would avoid counseling people out in an open space like the uh, sanctuary or someplace like that, but you might counsel them with an open door. And minors, the window and the door are not enough. Have another adult present with you. Okay? Uh, the accusation alone could cause a lawsuit. We want to ensure uh, confidentiality of meetings. Uh, which really means that we want to let them know who we will and who we will not disclose information to and how their information will be handled between ministers in the church and between ministries in the church. My recommendation would be that you don't share anything with any other minister in the church or any other ministries without something signed by the counselee. Okay? You need to require weekly supervision with a professional or pastoral counselor. This needs to be in the agreement the person signs, that they're acknowledging that you will be supervised by this person. Therefore, whoever this person is, they will have access to the record that you're going to create. Any questions or comments so far? All right. I know this is thrilling information. Um, but it's important to keep the, uh, the church and yourself uh, safe from liability as much as possible. So in your record, you need to keep detailed records. We are now off of the consent form. We're now on to other parts of policy. We need to require people to keep a detailed record of meetings where we have the date, time, and location of the meeting. You want the names of every single person present and why they were present. If you're seeing a husband and wife together, why are you seeing them together? Who is the primary person that you're seeing? Uh, the presenting problem. What did they come in for? And this is really, if we talk about pastoral counseling diagnosis, definition of the problem is really the diagnosis. We're not going to diagnose them with words like major depressive disorder, uh, social phobia, uh, schizophrenia, those kind of things. We're going to say, here's their problem, and here's the way it looks. Here's how intense it gets at its worst. Here's how intense it gets at its best. Here's how long it's been present. Those kind of things. That is the presenting problem. Okay? And then any exceptions to confidentiality that this person revealed, you want to have in your note. You also want to have how you handled that information. If somebody's in your office and they say, like I had a guy, I was a youth pastor for about six years, I had a guy come in to our parking lot and he said, I'm just trying to get over my fear of hell so I can kill myself. And I was like, I think I can help you, come on in. You know. So then we talked for a while and frankly I sent him to the hospital because he was a risk of harm to himself in my opinion. Okay, and that's really what it go by, goes by. In your opinion, if there are risks to themselves, you have a responsibility to keep them safe the same way a licensed professional counselor does. In the past, that was not true. 
But the Supreme Court has actually upheld that time and time again, that that is now a responsibility of pastors within the local church who are doing counseling. And by the way, if a person says, I will not go to the hospital, okay? You call an ambulance, they, they won't go with the ambulance. If you call the police, the police can mandate them to go. They will come and they will do what they call pink slipping. They essentially write something up that mandates that they go to the hospital and they get an evaluation for suicidality. Okay, I don't know about you, but I would sleep better at night knowing this person got to where they were going. Okay, uh, if you offered any referrals, that would be good to note in your notes. Um, specific actions that you recommended, that's what you're really going to be responsible for. And then scriptures that you used uh, should be a part of every single note. I have a question about Yes. Lock them up in a filing cabinet. Uh, isn't the law say that you have to have a double lock, double door? For HIPAA, in a closet with a lock. For HIPAA laws, they do. You're not under HIPAA. You're not a medical professional. As you, you happen to be. Yes. Yes. I have no safe place to keep records, and so when I counsel somebody just in crisis or or casually help them with an issue, Yes. I, 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 if I write notes, yep. I say, here's the notes of what we talked about, and I give them the notes. I don't keep anything, because my liability of my license is at stake. If I, if I would take it home, I'm breaking the law. If I leave it at the table, yes. even in a locked file cabinet, I'm breaking the law. If anybody has access to that at all, Correct. So, I'm in trouble with my confidence. So here, here's what so HIPAA... Here's what HIPAA law says. Uh, I am I am now, I wasn't when we knew each other at Emerge, but I'm now, a, this is my certification, get this. I'm a certified HIPAA privacy and security expert. That's actually what the certification says. It feels a little overdone, but, you know, I took a 26-hour course in it and had to pass like a 400-question exam. Longer than our licensure exam, I tell you the truth. It says, it says only it has to be under double lock. The double lock can be the lock on the front of the church and a locked filing cabinet, technically. You guys have to kind of designate that for yourself, though. But in her, for her to worship, no one can have access but her, right? Yeah, the, the filing cabinet. Access, Correct. Right? That would be a fi Now, filing cabinets are really not that expensive, <laughs> right? Uh, okay, so you put it in a file cabinet. Okay, what if you quit doing counseling? What do you do with them? Okay, <laughs> that's a big one too. That, that is, so like, when you quit I doing counseling, that, I, I was, a, I was yes. a counselor at a church. I yes. Had my office there. One third church people, two thirds community. Yep. For fifteen years, and I had yes. Okay, we moved seven years ago. What yep. do I do with all those files? You know, there's all these laws. You have to find storage. Blah, blah, blah. Well, or you have to give it to the client. Well, I did I at that point. My, yeah. But he, but I couldn't go back and call. Well, and, and in the policy, I, I, I took out a lot of junk out of it first, you know, <laughs> so it's just this basic, yeah. uh, and I shredded everything, you know, yeah. uh, so, uh, and in your policy, you can have, you can have how long you're going to keep those records for, yeah, but I couldn't take them to my home with me. 
couldn't leave you there. They were doing it with the officer then. So Correct. I had, a, I had a day. Yeah, you're under a unique circumstance for what we're talking about today, though. So even well, even if I was just going to do casual counseling now where I'm at, uh, you know, I, I, I prefer to say I don't keep records. I don't report to anybody. You know, this is something between me and you and God. And if, if I need to go talk to, you know, if I, I'll tell you if we need to go you know, call help or something, you know, yeah. uh, or if I'm going to refer you to somebody, because I just don't want any paper trail at all. Because they sure. if don't have a paper trail, they can't do anything to you. Okay. Reverend? Okay. I was going to say Bishop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, just clarifying, so if this is a ministry of the church yes. for this situation, then both those files technically then belong to the church. So if, they, if, if I were to leave our current situation which isn't happening. Yes. But that lock and key stays with the leadership of that church then, right? Or is that not okay then? Technically trust the leadership of the church probably if you're Technically here's the end of it. Technically the file belongs to the client and you are the custodian of that. So would the church continue to be the custodian of that, the board would need to vote on someone to be designated as the custodian, right? So all of these things, by the way, when you get all these policies written, the only way to protect yourself is to have the board officially adopt these policies, okay? The board has to vote on everything we're talking about today, everything. The appointment of pastoral or lay counselors, board has to vote on that, designate them as such. And in the board minutes, it has to say, we want this person to work at this place for this purpose. Okay? So let's move on to insurance coverage. Um, make sure that you have some. Let's move on. Um, so we're... <laughs> Oh, good. Yes. Yep. And I had yeah. And if you are a pastoral counselor, I would encourage you, get hooked up with membership in the American Association of Christian Counselors. That's the easiest way to get your own liability coverage. The church has to have coverage, and each individual, I would encourage you, require them to get their own coverage. If the church wants to pay for it, that's fine, but get individual coverage and church coverage. Okay. Oh, wait, I moved on, and my PowerPoint did not move on here. Prepare to screen your team. So remember, negligent hiring is something you can be sued for. So we have to develop a screening procedure that our board then uh, signs off on, okay, and adopts. Uh, we want to get ref references from, my recommendation would be professional, pastoral, personal, that attest to the spiritual and emotional maturity an ability to maintain confidentiality. Not everyone can do this. I know it seems like it should just be an ability. Not everybody can. Um, so make sure that you are checking these people out. Also, a criminal background check. And also, an application that kind of puts out all of these different areas. I always want to know, why does this person want to become a part of this ministry? That is very telling when somebody puts in, why do they want to become a part of this? Um, and then also, you'll need to verify, 
if they did not get their training and pastoral counseling with you at the church, you need to verify that they did get it. You need to see a certificate. You need to get some sort of transcript. All of those things are very important. Otherwise, you could be um, charged with negligent hiring. Okay. Choose a spiritual gifts inventory. We want to make sure that this person's spiritual gift falls somewhere within the realm of counseling and care. Okay, uh, Even if they're a pastor, I once worked with a very, very popular pastor, pastored huge church, um, churches, president of a Bible college, a lot of different things. His first statement to me was, I don't have mercy. And I said, well, I'm glad to know you. I mean, that's great. So you won't be doing counseling then? He goes, no, I do it all the time. I'm like, oh, let's pray. Um, we want to make sure that this person's spiritual gifting has mercy or hospitality or something like that. Okay, Something where they are welcoming people, have compassion for people. But you also want to have some sort of psychological measurement that will need to be interpreted by a licensed professional. Uh, 16PF is one, the Taylor Johnson, the Myers-Briggs, the FIRO-B. All of these kind of tests can help uh, to show if somebody has the kind of personality that we would be looking for. And there's not just one. There are several. But we want to see, are they a good fit? The Myers-Briggs, the classic Myers-Briggs type, if you were to use that one, is an ENFP, INFP. Those are the classic types for counseling, but we have a lot of counselors that emerge. They don't have that type, and they're still amazing, okay? So it's not definitive. This is actually, the Myers-Briggs is probably the weakest of all of these measures, even though it's the most popular, because it shows preference, not personality construct. Does that make sense? All right. So we're still developing the framework. We want to develop a communications plan. We don't want to just hit the ground and then start telling people, hey, we hit the ground a month ago, come on out. right? We want to hit this thing running. We want to build momentum in the local church. We want people to be excited. The best sources of referral that you're going to have are the people in your congregation. You'll need others, but they're going to be the people getting the, the community excited about this. So we want to have advertisement. We want to share our vision for this ministry with your team. We want to share specific information, like the limitations on the types and issues, differences between this ministry and professional counseling, uh, and then also a proposed start date. So now we've done all of this. Now we have to put this thing into practice, right? We have prepared. We've done everything we can. Now we have to put this thing into practice. So first, we need to pick the best people, then we need to train them. And then we, we, if in training, you can do your own training program, or you could have them go through an organized training program like Emerge Counseling Services Center for Pastoral Counseling online training program. It's a 12-module training program. You have an advertisement for it in front of you. Yes, that's a shameless plug. Forgive me. And also, Ashland Seminary, I helped them to develop this program uh, in Christian Counseling and Care. Matt Bevere, who's a professor there, and I worked for about a year to develop this certificate program. You do not have to have a bachelor's degree to get in to this certificate. However, 
you could use this certificate towards entrance into a master's degree even without a bachelor's degree at Ashland Seminary. And you would get a certain number of credits already towards that. All right, that, that, that's helpful. I don't know what that is, but it kind of sounds like my hotel room last day. Um, and then we need to provide careful... Super, and then we'll talk about space issues. So picking the best people. We want to look for people who are emotionally and spiritually mature. I want you to think of picking people as essentially you are uh, unleashing these people on the hurting and the wounded in your church and in your community. Okay? We want to make sure they are emotionally and spiritually mature. We don't want people that are going to use counseling to help themselves. Okay? And we don't want people that are going to, um, do you know, have you ever met people that always have to be right or they always have to be the best? They can't stop talking. They have to get the last word in. Those are not the people. Okay? Just if, if you sense that in the interview, and there has to be an interview, if you sense that, just say, you know what? I feel God calling you in a different direction. Okay? As lovingly as you can. They need to have a sincere desire to help hurting people. Uh, and they have to have a demonstrated ability to build healthy relationships and set flexible boundaries with people. They have to be able to say yes and no equally well in their private life. Okay, People that can't do that may have boundary issues. They may become over-invested in helping people, which means they're going to be putting you in jeopardy and in harm's way because they're going to be going beyond the boundaries of that relationship, or they may not care. They may look at somebody and say, well, you're suicidal. Okay, that's it. I, I guess I can't help you. Get out of here. Believe it or not, I actually heard of that happening. Uh, let me say, with that kind of, with suicidal issues, I, I actually heard of this once happening. Uh, a guy came in and said, "My only, the only thing that's stopping me from committing suicide is my fear of hell. Kid you not. The pastoral counselor looked at him and said, you know, God is gracious. He's not going to send you to hell. That is not going to happen. I'm so glad to have that reaction, by the way. <laughs> so then what happened? This guy went and committed suicide. He's like, well, that's good news. So here's the thing. If anybody is ever in my office and they're saying that's the only thing, I'm, I'm usually looking at them, whether I believe it or not, God forgive me, and I'm saying that's good that you're afraid of that because that would surely happen. If that's the only thing stopping them, I'm strengthening that. Theologically, it doesn't matter where I am in that moment. They're not thinking clearly. We can't have an open and honest theological debate with them. But people have to have the ability to build healthy relationships. If they don't, they're not going to be able to build one with this person. That doesn't mean they can't be introverted. It doesn't mean that they have to have thousands of friends, but they have to have at least one. Okay? At least one. And one good one. They have to have developed patience with other people. A uh, teachable spirit is going to be important because, frankly, they're going to make mistakes you're going to have to uh, correct them in some way. They have to be able to withstand that. And a willingness to accept supervision. Okay, and so when you're thinking of, uh, 
When you're thinking of the best people, uh, possibly this may be one of the people that you may pick. Maybe somebody like this. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlyle referred me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Change. Then I, I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. 
what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! Don't do that. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. No, 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 no. no. No, we did, we don't go there. <laughs> no, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say we definitely don't go there. Just stop it. <laughs> what 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 else? Well, I've had self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it. <laughs> you you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, then stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Baby. <laughs> I wash my hands a lot. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs on. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't worry about that. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it. <laughs> how, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you you kook. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And, and, you, and you don't you don't like it? No, I don't. So you think we're we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me uh, let me uh, give you ten words that I I think will. I'll clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? Right. Are you ready? Right here are the ten words. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. <laughs> okay, so this guy got past the interview wrongly. Right? We don't want somebody uh, counseling like this. He actually had every single one of the characteristics that I said, don't hire, okay? Um, some of our counseling, though, if we are not careful, fall under that paradigm. Just cut it out. The paradigm is this. If they understand that what they're doing has some sinful underpinning to it, then they will stop it. And the truth is, that doesn't work. By the time they get to your office, if they are caught in sin, they already know it's sin, telling them that doesn't do any good. They don't know why the good that they want to do, they don't do, and those things they don't want to do, they find themselves doing. They have no idea why. Your job as a pastoral counselor would be to walk them through Spirit-empowered guidance to try to find out why. What is happening inside of them that's causing them to go down that road? All right. So training lay counselors. We only have a few moments left. In, in your training, if you wanted to do training on your own, um, we would want to give them at least ideas of biblical guidance for everyday problems, okay? There are a couple of good books out there on this. Um, both of them have completely different theological positions, so we don't just accept things hook, line, and sinker. 
One of the books is called Counseling Through Your Bible Handbook. Uh, that's by June Hunt. Counseling Through Your Bible Handbook by June Hunt. And then Biblical Counseling, which is put out by the American Association of Christian Counselors, and that's written by the president of that organization, Tim Clinton and Ron Hawkins. It's called Biblical Counseling. And Biblical Counseling actually shows you how to set up the counseling session, uh, verses that apply to um, that issue, and how to walk the person through it. And it even offers some homework that you might give this person from a biblical perspective. In any, in any training you do, we have to offer practice. The person has to hands-on practice these skills through case studies, through mock role plays, those kind of things. If they don't practice it, they are not going to be able to do it. It remains a theoretical idea on the inside of them. They have to feel what it's like to actually use those skills. And we think that empathy should come naturally to people, but what actually comes natural usually is sympathy. We want to teach them how to use empathy in a way that can move the person forward in the process. We need to train people in legal and ethical issues, and then also when and how to refer uh, to professionals. You want to, in your church, no matter what, you want to also have, always have a referral list in your community and surrounding communities. I usually go three counties around me because uh, people come from all different places. Uh, we want to have licensed counselors who are Christians. We want to have psychiatrists. By the way, psychiatrists do not have to be Christians. They're not going to be spending that much time with your people. They spend about 15 minutes with your people, and their only job is to uh, prescribe medication if it's appropriate. That's it. They diagnose and they prescribe. That's all they do. Okay? Family doctors, but the counselor or the psychologist or the licensed independent social worker, marriage and family therapist, those all should be people who practice their profession as Christians. Not all Christians practice their profession as Christians. Okay? So they have to be people that integrate that into their counseling philosophy and methodology. We want to have the names of lawyers for all different kinds of issues, uh, drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers, and all of this is in your notes. Um, and the training program, if you were to put one on at your church, it would need to have at least the following things. Pastoral counseling skills. Uh, legal and ethical issues, a biblical view of common issues, crisis assessment and planning, and then marriage and family issues, when and how to refer to a professional uh, in different areas. And you have to have them signed off, sign off on the fact that they have been trained. Okay, if you don't have them sign off, there's no evidence that it happened. And when things go to court, I've been to court several times. I've never been sued, but I've been to court to defend my therapist. And frankly, the thing that I have learned is that if it's not written down, it didn't happen. It's a he said, she said kind of methodology. And usually, if it goes to jury, the jury is going to side with the person who is counseled. That is, the, that is historical uh, fact, actually, more often than not. I gave you uh, information about two uh, programs that do cover the areas that I had listed. Shameless plug again. Shameless plug again. 
So this, this is available on Emerge's website, uh, or you could call our toll-free number if you would want to sign people up. Uh, it's $3.95, not per module, but for all 12. Okay. And then also, this is information. You have this sheet in front of you. Uh, this should be beginning April 23rd. It's right there. It'll be at Emerge, but it's through Ashland Seminary. And is it how many weeks? It's actually 10 weeks per course, and it's five courses every Monday. Yep, every Monday. Um, by the way, if you have a professional working in your church, have them go through some pastoral counseling training. They have to be able to show training in this area if their degree was not in it. And that training can be... Anything, really, but this is one area. Provide careful. Yes? But what's the difference between the, the last, that one that's uh, 22 weeks and this 12 module? Is the same thing? Just online course here? So it's not the exact same thing. Uh, this one is through Ashland Seminary, and you can get seminary credit for it. Okay. And it costs more money. Uh, but it's happening at Emerge, and it's put, uh, actually, all of the uh, therapists that will be doing the teaching work at Emerge. So they're all Christian counselors. But it's the same certification if you go through this one? That's, that's, you get a certificate of completion from Emerge for the one that's online, the CPC. You get a certification of completion from Ashland if you go through their program at Emerge. The one at, that's just online, Yes. That No. The one from Ashland would? The CEUs are for licensed professionals that come through. Right. Yep. So the one from Ashland would qualify. Correct. And actually, we that's a good thought. We could look into CEUs for this as well. That'd be great. I actually hadn't thought about that until right now when you said it. Yeah. Thank you for that. And actually, I'm now in charge of that too. So that's, <laughs> I can actually do something about that. That's incredible. I love it. You need to provide careful supervision. Remember, negligent hiring, negligent supervision, two things you can get sued for. We want to provide weekly supervision and ongoing training with someone who is a licensed mental health professional uh, who understands pastoral counseling or somebody who has a graduate degree in pastoral counseling. Either one would be fine. Graduate degree, master's, or doctoral. Okay. Not for this. Not for this. Not to not to supervise pastoral counselors. To supervise an LPC you would. All right. So any other questions about supervision? I went through that very quickly. Yeah. I do have a question. Yeah. Is any way the prayer is implemented in the counseling process? If yes, how and when? So yes, every single session. Uh, that's one of the things that would distinguish it as pastoral counseling. And there's a few ways that you could do this, okay? Uh, some people open in prayer and end in prayer, and that's fine. That's great. Some people just close in prayer, and that's fine too. Some people incorporate prayer as an intervention, and that's amazing as well. I'm trained in uh, formational prayer with Terry Wardle. 
which is a methodology using prayer and letting the Holy Spirit guide the process of healing, and it is a specific model that he still trains people in. Okay? So that's one of three ways that you might use prayer in this process. But absolutely. Any other questions about... I have a question. Um, yeah. I think a lot of pastors are looking for ways to train people in their church to count, to, to do counseling. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not um, but pastoral counseling, biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. Is there, like at OSAM, or hospital of ministry, or anything, to train a, a model for training just lay people on how to mentor or meet one another and to keep it very simple? Because all of this scares everybody, you know. Yes. You know, as yes, it does. Or just a title of a mentor, a biblical mentor, or just a spiritual mentoring in the church. You don't have the title of being a counselor. Yeah. Probably best to leave that title off because then you don't get sued. It's not a counselor. Um, Would you better be a mentor, uh, practical life mentoring, and or spiritual mentoring combined? Could. That if there was a model that could be easily taught in a church or in a, uh, one of those areas of like Cincinnati area or Akron or whatever, okay, to train people how to just help somebody, here's a problem, and just take them, you know, have your, you know, list of biblical concerns, fears, phobias, and then scriptures that you could read and, could, you know, with them, and just to, to show them some, some helps in the Bible that the client could go to, and then some simple ways to train them to just do some practical be- cognitive behavior therapy, you know, sure. and fix in his heart, so is he? Sure. Because I was a cognitive behavior therapist, you know. So, sure. You know, and that's to me the most biblical, because it's their thinking process that needs to change in order for the behaviors to change, or their fears to sure. become their fears. Okay, so, but I think we need to simplify it. I think a lot of this sounds so scary, you know, the suing and all that, and I know we have to be aware of that, but if we could take away the disguise that we're doing counseling, just get rid of that, you're doing mentoring at the local level. If you have a, somebody come in capable of actually doing counseling, that's different, then they have to have all the laws. But, um, yeah, what you're talking about and what I'm talking about are two completely different things. Yeah. I've got all these people need counseling, and I don't know where to get help, you know. You know, and yeah. you know, can't afford to go to counseling, you know, but you can all see him. Yeah. So, you know, so it's just developing a core of people that can. So the question was, do they have that at OSOM? I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't so tell you. Just a, you know, that can train or a model. Yeah. This trains people to be simple. Yeah, and there, there is a place for that. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, but there is a place for that as well for mentoring, which would be a very simple model. Okay, what's the difference between the pastor of counseling and the mentor? I don't understand. I know, I understand. Thanks. It's a new class? Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. No, you didn't. It's a, it's a lot of grades on this here. Sure, mentoring would be less deep. Less deep. It would be more surface. So when we're talking about, here's your issue, here are some scriptures, go read those. That's not bad. It's just, it is kind of, it it wouldn't be doing counseling, you're correct. You know, this model is a little bit different that I would be proposing. But the idea that you won't get sued, that is not correct. People will sue you for anything. (laughs) 
you know. But anyway, absolutely. And the truth is, you should go into this with healthy fear so that you take appropriate action so you're not sued successfully. That's what we want to stop. Does that make sense? All right. Thanks, guys. we got to get to the next class.